Step through the twilight lands with me. Through the darkening sunlight, come with me. If you let your eyes adjust, you'll follow the light of the old ones. They've come to dance by the straight tracks. It isn't far to go. You're walking along with me now. I'm guiding the way. This is my land. My domain. The Bear's Grove, they call this place. Sacred it is to life and light. See the tower at the standard of the Golden Bear? Come past the forge and well. Past the mine and spire. Come now into the hall they built of old. The old stories crowd around in the firelight waiting to be told. Be welcome round this hearth and I bid you welcome to the Bears Grove podcast. My name is Sam Chep, and I'll be with you tonight as we walk through our various sections. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're going to have for you in this podcast. Uh, over in the kids' corner tonight, we're going to talk about what age is best to get your children involved um, in role-playing. If you don't have children then I'm sure you might have nephews or nieces or someone else in your life who might have children, so this is going to be applicable to you as well. Uh, in the storyteller circle, we're going to talk about how to integrate new characters into the game when you have an existing campaign or a chronicle. Um, and finally, in the romance section, we're going to talk about the more practical aspects of romance, that is to say, marriage, family, and parenting. My, uh, my rant is entitled The Grown-Up Disease. I can't tell you how many times I get this when I tell people that I've been involved with role-playing games. They tell me time and again, oh yeah, I used to do that when I was a kid. I, I used to role-play when I was in high school. I had this great character wow, it was so much fun, or I used to role-play in college, we had this group and it was great, we had so much fun, we had a great time. And then I say, well, you know, we could get you involved if you want, you know, you, you could come over and join our story if you like. They immediately turn around and say, uh, oh no, no, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that, I'm, I don't have any time, I, I've got so many things to do. And I think to myself, okay, you know, I'm totally about consent. I don't want to try and force the issue. But at the same time, I'm a little sad because it's like, I know what that means, what the real subtext is. And that is to say, I don't have time to play, I don't have time to enjoy. Um, and it makes me, it makes me sad. And the reason is because I, I know that everybody has in them a need to play. They have a need to step outside of their own experience and, and feel 
some sort of sense of being a part of something bigger or greater than themselves. And I think that storytelling and role-playing, that does that. It lets you connect with that higher part of yourself. I, I don't want to get religious. I, I just wanted to say that essentially I feel like what's happened to some of these folks is that their adult has taken over everything in their lives. They've got grown-up sickness. They don't want to play anymore. They don't want to make believe. And that's sad. So the next time you have the opportunity, I would encourage you to think twice. To take the invitation. You you may not have quote-unquote time for it, but there's a way. There's some way to make it work for you. You have more time than you know. There's... It's not required that you do what you used to do in high school or college and stay up all night and play and stay up all weekend long. It's not required that you buy miniatures and paint them or buy a whole bunch of dice or buy a whole bunch of books. It's not required you spend every waking hour thinking about your character. It's just not required. What's, what is required is simply a commitment. Maybe once every month or twice a month. Just get together with people and enjoy a game, a story. There's a lot of resources out there, and there are a lot of people out there who are willing to do the work to prepare for you, and all you've got to do is step into a game. But you've got to be eyes open about it and willing to make the time. Because, you know, the grown-up disease doesn't have to be fatal. You can turn it around anytime. Thanks for listening. Howdy, partner. Welcome to the Kids Corner. I'm going to talk a little bit about getting your kids involved in role-playing. Now, first let's just take care of the issue of kids. Everybody, except for people who aren't legally allowed to be around kids, has kids in their lives. Whether or not you realize it. There are community groups, there are places you can go. So there's really no excuse for saying, well, I don't really have any kids in my life. Because everybody does. Even if you're not going to be a parent, even if you're child-free, everybody has access to kids. And frankly, the children of this world need concerned, caring adults. People with a good imagination, childlike spirit, to go forth and be there for them in this way. And that is to say, get them involved with role-playing. I talked last week about 
the top 10 reasons why kids should roleplay. But truthfully, this is something that everybody needs to pitch in and help out. The thing of it is, there's a lot of calls on kids' time these days. There's school, there's extracurricular activities, there's video games of every kind. Movies, TV, computers, everything. So, in order for role-playing to continue on as a hobby, we're going to need to get some kids involved. And this is why I'd like to give you an idea as to how you might do that. <clears throat> Let's start out assuming that you're a parent, and we're going to go back and talk about the other folks later. Let's say you're a parent and you're a gamer. You must be a gamer if you're listening to this. And you'd like to uh, get your kids involved with gaming. You, you sort of have this idea. It would be fun, um, but you don't really know how to go about it. Well, first of all, kids are into imaginative play from a very young age. The difference between imaginative play, make-believe kind of thing, and role-playing is very, very minimal. The only difference really is structure and mechanics and technical stuff. So that answers your question right there. I mean, you can start role-playing with your kids as soon as they can interact with you. When I was a young father, I used to role-play with my infant son. I would fly him around the room, and I would make X-Wing fighter noises. You could role-play with a kid at a very young age. The difference is they're going to want to start to do what they see you doing when you're gaming. And... That becomes a very special thing. It's a different thing. It's something adults do. It's something... These people come to my house and they sit around a table and they spend a lot of time doing this. And it's a lot of fun. And they're really having a good time. And I can tell. And I really want to be part of this. Um, and so... Although you'll be more than likely role-playing with your kids from the moment they start talking to you... They will want to really oh, truly oh, do the play a role playing game thing, and that is requires character sheet and dice and maps and whatever it is you do with your adult friends. They're going to want to participate, they're going to want to figure out some way to be involved. Um, and this really becomes more feasible around the age of seven and, uh, that I've found. I have role-played with a lot of kids over the course of time. My kids grew up role-playing with me, and I used to run live-action role-playing events for kids. I was I ran a live-action uh, camp for kids in upstate New York, and we really, you know, I really put a limit on around the age of seven. Now, you can't just draw a numeric line and say, if you're seven, you can play. If you're six, you can't. Because there are some very mature six-year-olds, very developed, 
mature six-year-olds, and there are some very immature seven-year-olds. So really, it's a, it's after a while, you get to a sense of this is how it is, this is what sort of kid can handle gaming, and this is the sort of kid that really isn't ready yet. Um, and a lot of it is also deciding what to play and the complexity that you're trying to do and that sort of thing. Obviously, LARPs, live-action role-playing games, are easier for kids to get involved with because they don't have to understand the abstract at that point. They can interact with you as, you know, everything is that they see is there and they can sort of play act and it's just like playing cowboys and Indians back when I was a kid. So, and you know, now of course we would play cowboy uh, interlopers and Native Americans, but uh, at any rate, can start gaming, you can start doing imaginative play at a very young age, you can start actually role-playing probably around seven or eight, and as the children get older, the games will become more and more complex. Yeah, and really, a lot of people don't realize this, but the an eight-year-old child, eight, nine-year-old child, has a tremendous ability to absorb lore. They can absorb facts and figures like nobody's business. Um, just look at the Yu-Gi-Oh cards, the, the Pokemon, which, you know, at one point was... When my kids were growing up, that was the big deal. So they can memorize a lot of stuff about the game, and they basically will be little rules lawyers very quickly. So just so you know that that's a good time to start, and having a group of kids is a lot easier than just having one or two. And that's because the kids will keep each other entertained and focused. It will seem more like an event to them. There's more people to play off of. And truth be told, there's more opportunities for people to have ideas to move the game forward. If you have just two or three kids, they're just going to sit there and look at each other sometime. You have more than one or two kids, you have four or five or six, then you have a group that uh, can move forward and do things together. The gaming group that I started back when my kids were younger still around today. They're, they're grown up now. They're, they're teenagers, and uh, they've changed games, but they, they still game together. So I want to give you hope. Um, finally, my last word of warning about this is that as a gamer parent, you have to develop what I call the zen of game parenting. And that is this. You really want your kids to game. And kids are funny. They will sometimes be interested in what you're doing, and sometimes they will be completely uh, the opposite. And you just have to wait and be zen about it and let them come to you and, you know, make it a big deal. Make it something that's important because... If it's you who's the one who's constantly bugging them to play, then what will happen is it won't become a special thing. It'll become almost like a chore. Like, oh, Dad, you know, I have to... We have to game again. You know, do we have to do that? So what I did is I just said, you know, okay, well, I don't know. You know, 
maybe we'll game, maybe we'll play at some point in the future. And uh, then at some point I would say, well, you know, we could we could decide. I mean, if you want to, we could play a little bit. I don't know if you're if you're interested. You know, we could do that. And then later on, I'd say, well, and they'd say, well, can we game? Can we game? Can we play? Well, you know, if you do your homework um, and get your chores done, we'll see about gaming. And at that point, I realized that you know I had the right dynamic because it wasn't me forcing the issue it was my kids coming to me wanting to play so anyway that's my little tip for the kids corner this week and i hope you enjoyed it and oh i wanted to bring up and just let you people who are not parents know that the best way to get involved with gaming uh kids and gaming without being a parent is to become part of an organization where you can start a game and you have to be completely upfront about what you're doing. You have to be willing to just do everything out in the open. You have to be very careful. You don't want to seem like a freak coming in and off the street. Uh, you want to be somebody who is trustworthy and honest and upfront with everybody. Um, you need to let the parents know what's going on. You have to be very, uh, you know, clean cut and ready to sort of have your uh, whole appearance and everything judged because this is, you know, parents trusting you with their children. So just like you would if you had to be a little league coach or a soccer coach or whatever, you're going to have to interact with the parents and gain their trust. And it takes some time. So, um... I just want to stress to you non-parent folks who want to get kids involved with gaming that you got to do it the right way and just be patient and just let the situation evolve naturally. It's the best way to do it. Okay, next up we have the Storyteller Circle. Walking through the crowds, I see myself in everyone Stuffed in winter coats, hunched in against the cold Welcome to the Storyteller's Circle. Tonight I'm going to talk about something that is important to many different games. Um, it's developing a kind of thought process when you have a new player coming into an already existing game. Uh, you want to be polite. Um, but more than that, sometimes there are people who join that you just you just really want to play with, and so you need to figure out a way to put that character, that new player, that character into the game without causing uh, trouble. So I've come up with some ideas about how you can do that. The first of which is um, you need to spend time 
with the player to make the character for the for the player the best you can. Basically, this is my basic rule of thumb when you talk about character generation. I want the character you play in my game to be one of your favorite characters. So, you know, the way I look at it is the more you like your character, the better the whole story will go, the better everything else will go. So I want you to enjoy yourself and get the character that you really want. So um, I start start with that idea in mind. The next thing to do is to come up with already a niche for the character to be in. Um, everybody likes to have a character that is important to the story as an overall thing. Um, if you don't, if you have a character who's only tangentially important, you're not going to be as interested in coming back to the game. You're not going to be in, as interested as in playing. Now, that is said with the caveat that there are some people out there who are social gamers. They just want to come and enjoy themselves. They just enjoy being around other people who play, and they're not really there to be a big interactor, or they're not really there to... Uh, create an incredible story. They're just sort of there to enjoy things. And so, for those people, I like to make them a tourist kind of character, which is to say it's a character who can be of use, but for the most part they can get around, and they're pretty safe, and uh, they're kind of... Sometimes those make the best comic relief, or um, sometimes they make good uh, Game Master uh, plot hook kind of characters. Um, but social gamers are going to be in every group, and you just need to learn how to put them in there. So, the, so the the second thing I wanted you to do is to basically understand when you have you know someone come in, what kind of niche they need to fit into. Another thing I wanted to say about this is that you really need to integrate that character into the campaign as best you can. The players will need to have an in-game reason for suddenly trusting this newcomer, um, bringing them into their confidence to a certain extent. Uh, even if you're playing a very adversarial game, you need to have a situation, some sort of hook that the player, the new player coming in, can use to get into the group and become part of the group's activities because. Uh, in story, uh, you're going to basically need to have those kind of motivating plot lines in order to uh, ensure that your newcomers accept it. One of the ways that you can do this is to offer offer to let them play an, a non-player character, a character that's already been introduced to the story, um, and maybe you've played that character a little bit as a storyteller. Um, that's perfectly possible. There's some people who just won't take a character like that. They want a brand new character from the scratch, but it may be that you have a happy accident of someone wanting a character that you've, of the type that you've already created. So you can go ahead and just say, well, you know, uh, George here is going to play, you know, Abel the Butcher. Um, if everybody's okay with that. And, uh, Really, I mean, that's all you have to do. Of course, if you can't go that route, at least you can make them part of some sort of organization that the players are part of, or 
establish some sort of bona fide, um, maybe they're from the character's past, or they're from the character's family, or maybe there's uh, some kind of mystic sign, or some sort of uh, religious uh, connection. You don't know. There's all kinds of different ways to make this possible. Finally, I just wanted to say that one of the ways that in this busy time where you basically have people coming and going in your lives, you have people who, are, who can make it one week but can't make it another week, an idea is to have a number of people in your game that is more than the regular number of people you get every week so that you can have, say, six people playing at any one given time, just not the same six, and establish a plot structure that allows you to have multiple people coming and going. The downside to this is only when you get everybody in the game showing up at the same time. Uh, I did this for once for about two years, and one time, one or two times, I had all 14 people who were playing show up at once, but other than that, uh, I had just a good consistent group. It wasn't the same group because everybody was busy. Some people couldn't make it one week or another, but it was a good consistent group. And that's my idea. That's the Storyteller's Corner for today. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, next up in romance and role-playing today, we're going to talk about the practical aspects of gaming and romance and role-playing, and that is to say, the issues of marriage and family. Um, first off, I always recommend that all players and all storytellers, game masters, whatever, uh, do a lot of work to develop the family of the character that you're playing because it's really important to understand where a character comes from. Um, if you know what alliances a family has, what their status is, um, it just makes that character more real and gives the storyteller a greater chance to develop plots that deal with the family of a particular character. In addition to that, there's also the fact that if you have um, nobility in a fantasy game, then that's going to become a major uh, part of the character's um, ability to interact with other characters, it's going to form a large portion of the character's worldview, even if the person is something of a renegade, um, they're going to know, have to know what to rebel against. Um, so that leads us right on into marriage, because really marriage, for the most part, is only really important when you have a situation where there's wealth, power, prestige, or some other class-oriented thing 
involved. So, for example, if you have a noble family, the person that that noble family marries is going to be important. And if your player character is noble or has been somehow adopted by a noble family or is marrying into a noble family, then that's going to affect everything. So, um, these are things that are really peripheral to the concept of romance. However, they are outgrowths of that. I mean, true, a wedding does not necessarily, a marriage does not necessarily have to do anything with love. In fact, among nobility, there are many more politically oriented bonds than not. However, um, this is a fantasy game, and in a fantasy game we have uh, license to go ahead and break the rules of the past and say, yeah, this is a romantic marriage, and that's okay. Um, another thing that you will want to know about is um, whether or not the culture of a particular person has different marriage vows or different marriage ideas based on really what uh, that person's, person's culture is. If you have a barbarian from an island nation, uh, they may have a completely different ethos for marriage than, say, an elven noble uh, living in the forest. So, it's really important just to sort of realize that marriage is both a political thing, it's a economic thing, it's also a religious thing, and finally a romantic thing, um, an emotional relationship between two people. Um, in addition, hey, you know, there are many different kinds of marriage, and some uh, people in your world, fantasy world, might decide to get married to more than one person at a time. They might decide to get married only for a year and a day. Um, these are all valid marriage forms, and they're important to the overall scheme of things. The situation with a marriage most people want to know as player characters is, A, is it consensual? Is it something where uh, the player involved is actually consenting to the process? And I feel that it is unfair for, say, a storyteller to come up with a plot where oh, by the way, you didn't realize this, but your father, um, back when you were a baby, promised you in marriage to this other person and never really mentioned it to you. That would be kind of a dirty trick to play. However, uh, it would be an interesting plot, and it, as long as there was some way for the there, would, there to be a resolution that didn't involve the character having to get married to somebody it would be a fine thing for me as far as I'm concerned. Um, there are also situations where two player characters may want to get married together for whatever reason. Um, in fact, I've had a situation in a Pendragon game where two players decided to get married uh, and thereby got a lot of land as a result and were able to go from being mere knights to being a, an actual titled noble baron. So, marriage is a force in the game, and you need to think about it. Also, realize that as a storyteller, 
the actual event, the dramatic event of the marriage ritual itself, is a very fun time to bring out all kinds of things. So things such as very subtle things like for foreshadowing, say you could foreshadow that if you knew that there was war on the horizon and someone was getting married, you could foreshadow that there's trouble brewing by having a storm come up and totally rain out the wedding or whatever. I mean, it's totally up to you. Um, in addition, weddings are parties, so remember that there might be a lot of people there. There are ample opportunities for mischief to take place um, and ample opportunities for players to get in trouble and to have fun. So, just think of it in that way, and, and uh, I'm sure that you can come up with a lot of different ideas for your wedding game. Now, um, following weddings, and not necessarily, but sometimes, usually, uh, there's the parenting concept. And there are some times when you may find that it is a good idea to uh, go ahead and role-play the process of a character getting pregnant and having children. Now, the thing of it is, uh, once again, it's all about consent to me. Um, once, you know, even though it may not make sense uh, from a rational standpoint, I never just automatically assume that a character is going to be pregnant. What I'll do is I will say to them, hey, look, um, you know, I wonder if it would be a good plot if this character got pregnant. Um, and I kind of give them an opportunity to say yes or no because I feel like um, this is one of the areas that a female player especially can be sort of taken advantage of or um, shall we say just targeted for whatever reason you know that's one of the snickering things that people do and I can't stand that so I always try to make sure that it's a hundred percent consensual but uh, and a lot of people say, well, how could a, an adventurer continue to be an adventurer and still be a parent? Well, that's there's a lot of different ways you can do that. For example, um, in a situation where the character's already wealthy, there are plenty of people who would be willing to nurse that character's baby and take care of the character's baby while the character's away. Um, yes, it's going to add another level of interest to the story, and the player is going to want to protect uh, his or her child. The player is going to want to come back uh, more frequently to the home base, and hopefully the player will understand that over time that, you know, this is something that they need to pay attention to, that they have this baby and they need to, to take care of it, and you can... I mean, as a as a storyteller, certainly there have been many stories that involve the you know a, a, a perfect son or daughter of a king or a queen or you know an important person going missing for whatever reason they were kidnapped or whatever. There is nothing like that to create a story that is intense and uh, that strikes at the heart of what we are we are as human beings. So I just encourage you to 
not look at it as, look at it as necessarily a bad thing, but think of it in terms of, okay, what kind of stories can come out of this uh, that makes the whole story more rich and more interesting. Um, Finally, uh, there are games, in fact, where, like in Pendragon, for example, where you literally play your offspring, um, that you play your own character up to a certain point, and then you go back through time, and throughout the, the game, every game session, there's a point in time where you check to see if you're, if any of the times that you laid with a woman um, as a knight... Uh, caused you to have children, and at some point or another, your children will grow to a majority age, and they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, father, you know, you're a loyal knight of Arthur, and now I need you to, you know, fund me, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your son, and uh, I want you to give me a horse and armor and stuff, and so, and eventually you will retire that first character and play your, that character's son, and that's kind of a really nifty way of doing it without having a lot of, you know, folder roll about, you know, resurrections and stuff like that that's just not appropriate to that Arthurian mythos. So just so you know that this is not just my crazed imaginings, that there are really a lot of interesting storylines out there, and that if you're willing to put a little bit more of a mature effort into it, and think in terms of what can be done inside of the context of a game, then you can add these romantic aspects to the game and make it much more interesting and pleasing to you and to the people who play. Uh, next week we're going to be talking a little bit about the process of how to create a mood of romance in a game. In addition, I would like very much to get any feedback that y'all have about this segment, or anything else that you may have heard on the Bears Grove, my email address is bearsgrove at gmail.com. Alternatively, you may respond to me at the blog, uh, bearsgrove.blogspot.com, or you may decide instead to go to samchup.com and send me a message through my website. There's an email form there. Thanks so much for listening. I'm having a blast putting these together, and I'm going to continue. I really appreciate all my subscribers, including my new iTunes listeners. I want to give special thanks to the Podsafe Music Network for providing music again this time. Once again, to start out, we had... Fumitaka Anzai with Forest in the Morning. For the storytelling section, you heard a song called Movies in My Head by Lorena Mirai. For the kids and role-playing section, a song called Just Add Beans from Vincent Van Gogo. Starting out this session was a song called she Rests Her Head by Jessica King. Finally, underneath it all, to this uh, last bit, uh, a song called Don't Harass Betty. Uh, that's actually the band name. The song is called I-95. Thanks. Grove Podcast has been a production of Sam Chupp. It is 
Presented to you under the Creative Commons license. Attribution, no derivative, no commercial use. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Two more just seconds. My beating heart lets me know